For a bride, there is a saying, something old, something new, something borrowed, and what is the other one? Something blue. Well, this morning, I, as you know, I'm not a bride. However, I do have something old, something new, something borrowed, and something blue. I'm wearing a blue shirt, so that's something blue. I'm borrowing the words of the Apostle Paul, so there's something borrowed. Paul's words are some 2,000 years old, so there's something old. And I'm starting a new new sermon series, and so there's something new. And over the next few months, I'd like us to look at Paul's letter to the church in Galatia. And this morning, I just want to give you an introduction to Paul's epistle to the Galatians. Paul's letter to the Galatians is an ancient letter written in the mid-first century AD, which makes it almost 2,000 years old. The original letter no longer exists, but many copies of it, over 1,500 years old, still survive in museums. Although the letter is very old, we need its teaching today in this 21st century. You see, Paul claims that his teaching, including this letter, came from God as revealed by him in the 12th verse of this chapter. And listen to the words as they are found in verse 12. I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came to me by revelation of Jesus Christ. So this letter carries weight. Its context is also relevant for us today because this epistle to the Galatians is God-breathed Scripture, and therefore it's profitable for our souls even though it is very old. In fact, uh, in his letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and verse 17, says this, all Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable that the man of God may be complete. The book of of Galatians addressed to the church at Galatia is a master's thesis on salvation by grace alone through faith. Now, introductions can be boring and just filled with loads of information which is totally irrelevant to our daily Christian living. Therefore, I will try and avoid this morning an overload of historic and geographical facts, and also also avoid loads of data. Nevertheless, a few may be necessary. Let me read to you this morning the first five verses of this epistle. If you have a Bible, turn with me to the first chapter, and let me read to you the first five verses. 
Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and to all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of God, of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Four things I'd like us to look at this morning from Paul's opening statements, and they are these. First, the author. Secondly, the recipients. Thirdly, the salutations. And finally, the Christ. First, the author. And he introduces himself to us in the first verse. If we can have that up, Chris. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And there's no need this morning for me to say much about the Apostle Paul, as I'm sure we are all familiar with him, this character from the New Testament who had that great conversion on the Damascus Road. He was one of the greatest persecutors of the Church of Christ. He then had that tremendous conversion, and he became one of the church's greatest preachers, apostle, and missionary so much so that this one-time gospel rejecter and hater declares to the church in Romans, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. And Paul here reminds his recipients that he is an apostle, and he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. Furthermore, his apostle his apostleship, rather, is not an appointment made by men, but I quote, by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. You see, even way back there in the days of the early church, there were false apostles, false prophets, and false teachers that had crept into the church. And church history tells us that some leaders within the church had been appointed to their office because they had purchased their office. They'd bought their, uh, is it bishop crypt? What do they call the words for bishop? Bishop crypt. They had bought it. They had paid for it. Others, as a result, result of nepotism, some popes gave red caps, that is, bestowed the office of a cardinal on their nephews before they even came to the age of understanding, while others were appointed simply to the office on the basis of their popularity and not spirituality, while others were appointed for some political reason. However, Paul makes it clear to the believers at Galatia that his appointment was a divine appointment. 
This epistle to the, Gal to the Christians at Galatia comes from the pen of a man who was a gift of the ascended Christ to his church. If you remember in, in uh, Ephesians 4 and 11, Paul says that when he ascended, that is Christ, he gave gifts of men to the church, some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, and they were given until the body was, had come to maturity. He was a true apostle of Jesus Christ. This teaches us as 21st century church that it is important that we have leaders who are men of God and not ones who are in position of authority just because they want power or status or the admiration of men and women. And so Paul, he's a leader, he's an apostle by the will of God. And may God save us here at Waterfront from appointing men and women because of money or because of their popularity or for political reasons, but that we do so because we believe that something of the Spirit of God rests upon them. Then secondly, what about the recipients? The recipients, well, verse 2, to the churches in Galatia. Now, nobody knows exactly where the churches of Galatia were located, but the general area, of course, is what is today called Turkey. Peter also wrote to the Galatians, among others. He mentions Galatians among the exiles of the dispersion, and you find it in his first epistle. Social, political, economic, and religious pressure caused many Jews to migrate to places like Galatia, where they were still able to keep in touch with home. And the Jews established synagogues around the world, and Galatia was no exception, and ru ruins of synagogues can still be found in the area which once made up Galatia. And inside these synagogues, Paul would teach the Jews, and he would make some converts to Christianity. The Galatian churches were a mix of both Jews and Gentile converts. And the Judaizers worked to convince the Galatian churches that Gentiles belie Gentile believers must be circumcised before they could have fellowship with the Jewish believers. And as we go through this letter, we discover that Paul counteracts this false teaching of the Judaizers. What do these recipients teach us as a 21st century church today? Well, it's a wake-up call to be vigilant lest we drift from the central message of the gospel and run after the fleeting fads that are being propagated under the name of Christianity today. Stay 
anchored to the truth. Then the salutation. Look at verse 3. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here at the very beginning of the letter, before he seeks to correct and rebukes, rebuke them, Paul shares with them something of his personal desire for them, and that is that they would experience a twofold blessing from God, namely grace and peace, and that from God and our Father, Jesus Christ. First, he wants them to experience the grace that comes from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And grace, of course, is the unmerited, undeserved favor of God. God grace is God bestowing upon me what I don't deserve. And the Greek word for grace, of course, is charis, and it is used some 150 times in the New Testament uh, translation of the Bible. And the word refers to the favor that God gives freely without expecting anything in return. God provides this grace to us not because he is expecting anything from us, but because of what he has done for us. And Paul wants even these believers at Galatia, while they have drawn their eyes away from the central truth of the gospel, he wants them to come to the place again where they would experience and be thrilled with something of the grace of God. And he also wants them to experience something of the peace of God that comes from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's desire for these believers is that they would experience a deep sense of peace. Here they are living in a hostile world as far as Christian values and morals are concerned at a time when Christianity was vehemently being persecuted, where cultural practices were completely contrary to New Testament teachings on moral and ethics. And to add into all this mix, there were Judaizers within the church who were seeking to bring the believers back to the bondage of Old Testament law and thus robbing them of the peace that they had experienced through the gospel. And into this mix, which was enough to stress the most laid back of individuals, Paul prays that in it all their hearts might be filled with something of the peace of God which passes all understanding. And this morning, in this fast-changing, multicultural, multi-faith, humanistic, postmodern, post-Christian, and COVID pandemic society that we live in, I pray this morning that God will bless you with a peace that no one can completely understand and that and this peace will control the way you think and feel. So, the salutation, grace and peace. And this morning, in all sincerity,
I pray that this year will be a year where you will experience whatever life may throw your way, that you will experience something of the grace of God, the favor of God upon your lives, and the peace of God filling your hearts and minds. And then, finally, there is the Christ. Verses 3 to 5. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of God the Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Note how the apostle, at the very beginning of his letter, draws their attention to Jesus. Paul is Christocentric. Jesus is everything. It's all about Jesus. And my friends, this morning here at Waterfront Community Church in Swansea, we are all about Jesus. We are, and if we want to survive, must remain a Christocentric church. Note the three things about Jesus that Paul points out at the very beginning of this letter to these confused believers at Galatia. First of all, Christ is the great Redeemer who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. Jesus surrendered himself of his own free act and will to those who sought his death. The phrase is parallel in uh, Titus 2.14, and appears in its full and complete form in the gospel in Matthew 20, uh, 28 and Mark 10.45, when Jesus said, the Son of Man came to give his life a ransom for many. And 1 Timothy 2.6, who gave himself a ransom. Note, that the object of this redemption or rescue is to deliver men and women from sin. We note from Paul's opening statement that not only is he Christ-centered, but also he's cross-centered. The cross is central to both Paul's writings and his preaching. He reminded the believers at Corinth that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of the cross. And I still believe in 2022 that the preaching of the cross, empowered by the Holy Spirit, is God's answer to the world today. Your gospel, O Lord, is the hope of our nation. 
later on in his epistle, we shall, we can, we shall see how the Judaizers were trying to, be, to bring the believers at Galatia to a gospel of Jesus plus law. However, right at the very beginning of his letter, Paul makes it clear that redemption is found incomplete in Christ and his atoning sacrifice on the cross. And may God help us here at Waterfront to be true to the preaching of the cross. This fellowship is not about Waterfront Community Church. Neither is it about the apostolic church and her distinctives, happy as we may be with both. This fellowship must always be Christ and cross-centered. So we have Christ, the great Redeemer. Then secondly, Christ's redemptive work, Christ's redemptive work, was God's eternal plan. Verse 4, verse four, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of God the Father. The cross, my friend, was no failure, accident, or plan that went terribly wrong. The cross was God's plan from all eternity. Ellicott in his, in his commentary says this, the scheme of redemption was willed by God and therefore all that was done either on the part of man or of his Redeemer was the carrying out of his will. You see, Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Listen to Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost, that great sermon of his in Acts chapter 2. And Luke records for us in the 23rd verse, Peter saying, He that is Jesus was delivered up by God's set plan and foreknowledge, and you by the hands of lawless, and you by the hands of the lawless, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Listen to the great prophetical declaration of Isaiah 53. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will, suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. And speaking 
of the cross. It was Billy Graham who said, Jesus went forward for one reason. He knew it was God's plan for him to die, and he knew it was God's plan because by his death he would become the final sacrifice for the sins of the whole human race. Friends, if the cross was no accident, then this morning neither is mine or your election, redemption, and sanctification. You were in His eternal plan as well, and to be a part of His church, and even to be here this morning. And then the final thing He says is this, Christ is worthy of eternal praise. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And Jill in, or Gil in his commentary reminds us, Christ is to be glorified, that he of his free, rich grace and love agreed to give himself and did give himself to be a ransom for his people. He has given himself a ransom for you and for me this morning, and how can I be silent? I cannot help this morning but praise and glorify God. This morning, we are his people, and we gladly join with heaven's choir to sing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Yes, here at Waterfront, we shall keep Christ central. We shall keep the cross central. And we shall ensure that the praises shall forever ring out for the glory of God and His Christ. And therefore, let me sing for the glory of heaven like a sunbeam has swept o'er my heart, I would praise thee for sins all forgiven, for thy glory which shall never depart. O oh, wonderful, glorious Redeemer, I would worship thee, Saviour divine, and rejoice, though surrounded with praises, thou wilt still hear a song such as mine, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.